Hello, I'm Paul Evans and welcome to Airing Pain, a programme brought to you by Pain Concern, the UK charity providing information and support for those of us living with pain and healthcare professionals. This edition has been funded by donations from residents at Falcon House, Edinburgh. Now, the biopsychosocial approach to managing chronic pain is well established. It acknowledges that thoughts, emotions, economics, environmental, cultural and biological factors all contribute to our well-being. But could the word spiritual be added to that description? Towards Culturally Competent Pain Assessment was a research project funded by the National Institute for Health Research. It explored the experience, expression and management of chronic pain across the five common faith communities in the UK. That's Jewish, Hindu, Sikh, Muslim and Christian. 44 participants aged 65 and above were asked about their experiences of pain their choices around self-management, their interactions with health professionals and whether or not faith had influenced the way they managed their pain. Michelle Briggs was one of the research team. She's Professor of Nursing at Leeds Metropolitan University and she's an Anglican chaplain. We could not see any specific pattern of a Christian way of dealing with our faith or an Islamic way of dealing with the faith. What we found more interestingly is that the majority of people found faith as an incredibly positive resource to help them with their pain. So they talked about their providing solutions to help live positively with their pain in terms of prayer, in terms of community engagement, the support that they got from other members of their faith community. They talked very positively about how their faith had helped them cope and live with their pain. And also, not only cope and live with their pain, but a way of understanding what their pain meant for them. Their faith helped them have a sense of um, why we have pain in the world. And that as a pain community, what we saw was, certainly within the palliative medicine field, um, Dame Cicely Saunders was a pioneer in that area, and she talked about pain being a total pain experience, whereby we have physical pain, we have psychological, social and spiritual elements to our pain, and that actually that's one of the things that we think that we have pain because our bodies are broken, we have pain because the way that we're thinking about pain might help so that our thoughts are broken or need help fixing. We have pain because maybe our relationships break down or that there's issues around our relationships. And one of those relationships could be our relationship with God or within our faith. And certainly within the palliative care field, one could argue that the pain management within that area is opened up because we're able to talk about all of those aspects in a way that we don't necessarily talk when we're talking about chronic pain management where we focus sometimes predominantly on the the broken bodies and maybe talk about the psychology but don't necessarily think about the social factors that can help. Are there any instances where our concept of God might get in the way of us managing our pain? I think sometimes that might be in the same as anything can be a 
barrier to getting good pain relief. The way that we work with our family, the way that we work with our health professional, the way that we see God and the way that we're working with our faith community, sometimes that can be a difficulty. And it's why within the research what we've come up with is a series of questions that actually from a pain consultant point of view, or if you're going to a pain clinic, you may think about um, one of the questions that we're asking is, does your religion influence how you understand your pain and its cause? And of course there's the potential there for that influence to be positive influence because it helps me understand why I have my pain. But it could be that it's a negative influence and that actually it's getting in the way of me accessing pain treatment or thinking about pain. Or indeed what we're asking is, um, can you tell me aspects of whether your religion makes your pain better or worse? So for an example, one example that was given was um, somebody who felt that they would like to continue with their prayer, but the pain that they had made the prayer positions particularly difficult. So there was a real tension there. And one way that um, their pain consultant helped them was find a way to perform their prayers in a way that helped their pain so that there were different ways to say the prayers and do the prayers that um, combined their physiotherapy and their prayers so so there are ways that when you ask those questions and you give people permission to talk about it that we can find ways of improving people's pain management in combination with their faith community that's incredibly important isn't it I believe so. I think sometimes we talk about being able to see all aspects of somebody's life and being able to work out how the pain can sometimes be in the driving seat of that person's life. They can be thinking about how the pain is stopping them doing things and one area of their life can be their participation in their faith community. But it's an area of life we don't necessarily talk about but there's a lot of evidence to suggest that um, prayer can help some people if it's an important part of their religious life or that other aspects of being um, able to participate in their faith can help their pain experience. So being able to facilitate that as pain specialists is an important area for some people. The important thing is that what we need to make sure when we're helping people tell their stories about how the pain is making a difference in their life, that we give people every opportunity to say the things that matter to them. So for some people, in terms of our um, service user group, the the older people that we spoke to in our research, some people said, oh, I don't think it matters at all. I don't need to talk to my doctor about my religion. It's not positively helping me. It's not negatively getting in the way. It doesn't matter at all, as in lots of other things that we do around our pain. But when it does matter, it matters a lot. So I think that that's the important thing, is that our assessments and when patients come and talk about pain, if it is an issue that they're able and they have permission to be able to talk about it when it does matter. Depending on your level of faith, whatever that faith may yes. be, yeah. pain is an all-embracing thing. It's your life. It's biopsychosocial. Yeah. If that is your life and your faith is your life, then everything is linked. Absolutely. And it's part of any health professional's role to consider all aspects of somebody's health and think about the social, cultural and spiritual aspects where they may provide 
solace or they may provide an area where there's work to be done in terms of improving somebody's pain management. So it's incumbent on people to be considering those. The real difficulty is how you consider those and how you um, sensitively and culturally ask questions so that people feel safe and able to talk about their pain in that way. That's right. If a pain doctor says to you, would you like to see a chaplain? Absolutely. Said in the wrong way. Yes, yeah. And, and certainly our, our service user group said that that certainly shouldn't ever be the first question and that it should be a sense of, you know, what is your religion, if any? Do you have a religion? If you have a religion, does it influence how you understand your pain? Does it make influence how you make decisions about your pain management? And if people are saying yes to those questions, then there are deeper questions to ask around, well, can you tell me particular aspects of your religion that are helping you and is there ways that we can help you facilitate that? So the example I gave about somebody who was struggling to um, participate in their prayers and there was a way that that, that, that could be helped. Another example was a, a, a Sikh gentleman who, who found that part of his faith was um, to participate in the service and he wasn't able to so there was a way found to allow him to continue to participate. So there are ways that unless we have those conversations, we can't work out ways of helping. But you're absolutely right. Sometimes if you just leap in with you'd like to see a chaplain, the word chaplain might not even be understandable to most people or the reason for seeing that person. And bearing in mind the group of people that we're speaking to are people who are connected with the faith. They said, oh, no, don't ask that question first. Ask us why this is important to ask and ask us whether we think this should be part of our pain management plan. So biopsychosocial should be socio-biopsycho or maybe socio-biopsycho-spiritual. Cicely Saunders would argue that um, a total pain model includes consideration of the biological, psychological, social and spiritual factors within that person's life. And of course, for some people, it will be a totally physical problem. For some people, it will be a physical and psychological difficulty that they're, they're working with. And for other people, the social and the spiritual factors will also be a part of that equation to getting to good pain relief. That was Michelle Briggs, Professor of Nursing at Leeds Metropolitan University. I'll just remind you of my usual words of caution, the small print if you like, that whilst we believe the information and opinions on air and pain are accurate and sound based on the best judgments available, you should always consult your health professional on any matter relating to your health and well-being. He or she is the only person who knows you and your circumstances and therefore the appropriate action to take on your behalf. Now, picking up on the points made by Michelle Briggs about the biopsychosocial and maybe spiritual factors affecting a patient's well-being, is the next generation of doctors and health professionals receiving the appropriate training to be able to take all of a patient's life factors into account? Emma Briggs is a lecturer and King's Teaching Fellow at King's College London. She's also chair of the British Pain Society Pain Education Special Interest Group. Back in 2011, the group published the results of a study looking at how much pain education students across the health disciplines were receiving. And it may surprise you to know that some vet schools were included in the study. There was one university, one veterinary school, which did 
do a significant amount of pain teaching in their curriculum, which was higher than some of the schools that were teaching health disciplines um, for human healthcare. However, we only had two schools in the sample. It's difficult to make that conclusion universal. However, we do know that it makes up less than 1% of the curriculum, pain education, when it is an increasing health concern. We have a third of our adult population who are experiencing long-term persistent pain and just taking back pain alone is costing the economy 12 billion a year estimated. That has a devastating effect on individuals' lives and that many adults. Yet we don't have it represented in the preparation of our healthcare professionals in that way and it being an increasing healthcare concern, you know, we need to see it in the curriculum. We need to see our healthcare professionals better prepared so that they can manage pain for individuals, for their family and uh, for public health. So what sort of education are they getting? What we know is they're getting on average about 12 hours of education. We've recently conducted a study with the European Pain Federation, EFIC, um, and this looked at just medical undergraduates this time, whereas our previous study was a whole range of disciplines. But it compared the education across Europe, and that was fascinating in itself. So we reckon they're getting on average... 12 hours, which in those figures, when you the European standard is for medical students to have a curriculum which is 5,500 hours, so really we're only getting 0.2% of the curriculum. But what is interesting is, is how they're being educated, and it's largely by lectures, the knowledge is then being tested through exams, so it's all about information and knowledge recall, which is great, but by itself is not going to help me as a clinician learn how to communicate, learn to have how to have empathy with a patient, learn to problem solve and assess their pain, and then make some clinical decisions about how am I going to treat this, how's the best pharmacological treatment, how's the best drug techniques that I need, and, then, and is there any non-drug techniques and alternative therapies that, that might help this individual. You know, none of those techniques are going to help those skills and that competence that we need. Are we on a par with other countries in, in Europe or the world even? Unfortunately not. The UK figures is that 68% of the universities in the UK have some sort of pain teaching but they, that's usually spread out in other modules that might be in a, in a module on pharmacology, it might be on, on the pain mechanisms and the, and the physiology but they don't have dedicated pain management time. Quite interestingly, in France, I suppose our closest comparison, 84% of their medical schools actually had dedicated time, dedicated modules for pain teaching. And that's because they've had a national plan around pain management since 1997. And in 2004, they made it compulsory that all medical schools should include pain within their teaching so they have um, all of them have pain teaching and 84% of them have dedicated modules so a, a block of teaching actually on pain itself um, and Germany are not far behind because they have um, worked with palliative care to get it on on the curriculum and get it on the students final exams as well. But I suppose pain may not be a sexy subject for a young undergraduate 
it may not be an easy module to sell for the powers that be in the universities and the colleges. How do you make it sexy? I think we've got to demonstrate the impact and continue to shout from the rooftops the impact that it's having on individuals and their families, the increasing public health concern, and very sadly, I think sometimes people respond much more to the economic impact, and I think we've got increasing numbers in Europe, and there was a study that was conducted in Ireland that said on average, somebody in persistent pain can cost the economy um, around 5,000, 6,000 euros, but that figure can actually go up to 30,000 euros, depending on the treatment that somebody's having. You know, so unfortunately, sometimes the powers that be only respond to the economic arguments. Um, you know, but increasingly there is this argument around, what to say, social justice. But actually, it's around saying that the health needs of the population need to be represented in how we're preparing our undergraduates. I was talking with some lecturers from South Africa. And they were saying, actually, their local population, they increasingly need to teach around HIV, and it's very difficult to get pain in there. Our population needs are different, and pain needs to be up there as a a priority. Emma Briggs. Now, Nathan Goss is not a student. Rather, he's a senior physiotherapist at the pain management programme at the Walton Centre in Liverpool. But when I spoke to him, he was a relative newcomer to the world of pain with just two years in this specialist field. The area of work I worked in prior to pain was mental health field, so I was a mental health physiotherapist. Not the most usual kind of field to be working in. There are plenty of physiotherapists working in the mental health field, but we're not sort of well-known or understood really what our roles were, and I was looking for an area to combine my knowledge of physical health and mental health and understanding of mood problems and psychological difficulties really, and pain brings those two fields together. In what way? Pain affects us not just physically but sort of emotionally and and mentally as well and as a physiotherapist I've always thought we are in one of those great positions to be able to prescribe movement and exercise which we recognise as being very important in the presence of any mental health problems or pain problems but not a lot of people can actually do that I suppose, prescribe the exercise. So you were involved with people with mental health issues Depression, anxiety... Absolutely, absolutely. You know, the incidences of depression and anxiety are recognised to be much higher in the chronic pain population. Like I said, the role of exercise, the fear of movement that chronic pain brings is well recognised and it's a good role to be able to sort of understand both parties and actually help people get moving because it's one thing being recommended movement but actually you need to have kind of the background knowledge to to know how to do that and the reassurance and the the, the method of of delivering that advice. It slots in really nicely with the the world I'm moving into, I suppose. I guess as a patient, if I were being referred to a physiotherapist, um, the plus point of that particular physiotherapist was he's worked with mental health patients, that would ring some alarm bells in me. Yeah, and I think that's inevitable. I think we're assessing people with pain problems all the time. The mention of mental health, mood, depression, psychological difficulties creates that, that impression in a lot of people, and that's why we have to be very good at understanding the impact of pain. And not just us telling people. I mean, we have to learn from the patients. We have to understand their experience of pain. And actually, I think it's just about taking away the stigma, really, of, you know... I mean, I always describe mental health or psychological problems as 
something that we all experience you know so we're all on the sliding scale it's not just something that gets to a certain tipping point and you've got something wrong with you you know we're human beings so we all have human psychology we're, you know we're on the sliding scale of mood you know wake up some days feeling not so great and and you know find it more difficult to in, you know interact with others and you know maybe these interviews may be a little bit anxious as well beforehand but these are human emotions and, and difficulties and we try to normalize that a little bit I suppose that's what I would try and do if I well, when I'm working with people with pain problems rather than making them feel like well I've got a mental health problem because that, I can understand that that's not delivered in the right way it could be a bit of a shock but you're not a mind therapist you're a body therapist you can't separate the two really um, mental health work and, and working again with the psychological side of things a little bit was the underrepresentation at university we've just had a talk suggesting that physiotherapy students get 37 and a half hours of pain education which I'm not sure was the case when I was at university. I know we had a, a three-hour lecture on mental health problems, and I remember just thinking that is not representative of where I want to be as a therapist. You know, I'm going to need to be able to deal with both the mind and and the body <laughs> side of things. I don't think that's what therapy is about, really. You know, treating a physical difficulty or the other side. It's it's both together. They need to be integrated, really. What have you learned in your first two years of pain management? I've learned that pain is a very complex thing it's not something that is brilliantly understood in the context of other medical problems and, and in, in the field of the medical world there's still lots and lots to learn and I've got a long long way to go but that also there are some very sort of simple helpful messages that you can give to our group members to help them move forward and and lead a better quality of life and and that's what I suppose keeps me interested in makes me you know, enjoy my job is the fact that there is scope for people to improve their quality of life but yeah certainly you know lots more to learn and you know there's lots of you know, exciting sort of future directions as well I think for for pain management. Nathan Goss senior physiotherapist at the pain management program at the Walton Centre in Liverpool. Now, when I got my first job in a completely unrelated field, I received three months of intensive lecture room cramming before being let loose on the real thing. But I felt I'd learnt more in the first week following that training period than the previous three months with my head buried in a textbook. Learning the theory, of course, is essential, but experience of real-life situations cannot be learnt in a book. So, going back to our undergraduates... How could the gap between lecture room and dealing with real patients be bridged? Emma Briggs again. How we teach our undergraduates at King's College London is to make sure that they get some lectures and they get a chance to rehearse those skills that they need to work with patients. Um, and we have a, an undergraduate programme, something called an interprofessional pain management learning unit and 1,300 students come together to learn about pain and they're from all different disciplines so they're from dentistry, medicine, nursing, midwifery, pharmacy and physiotherapy and we give them some background information, some online learning to do and they meet a virtual patient with, a different, with different painful conditions and they work through some of their communication issues, their empathy, and then they need to demonstrate that to us in the classroom as well. So we then meet them in the classroom. They work in a interprofessional groups, it's called. They work as a team because they need to collaborate as a team. That's how they would work in practice when they qualify. 
So they collaborate to actually um, demonstrate the communication, the empathy, their understanding of the biopsychosocial, so they really understand the impact of, of that pain on the individual. Then they, they come up with a plan which includes drug techniques and non-drug techniques. We make sure that they understand the importance of working as a team and in fact they do the feedback that we have from that learning unit is some of the direct quotes from the students is I now understand the need to work together as a team and how the outcomes for the patient can be better as a result from that. These are virtual patients do they meet real patients? They do indeed, but different stages at their career. So they will have placements throughout. It's a requirement of the course that they have a certain number of hours. Um, so for nursing, for instance, half of the course, 50%, has to be clinical time. Whether they have experience with some of the pain services varies according to the individual. I mean, we, we take in 400 students, and unfortunately we couldn't get 400 students' time with clinical nurse specialists or specialist physios, but some of them do rotate in if they have an interest in pain management and they often do projects around pain management and special study units which will focus on pain, so they do have opportunities. Do they meet expert patients, people who just come in and talk about how pain affects their life? The expert patient in the classroom is a really powerful tool and yes they do. My experience with expert patients, just to give you one example, was of a patient who'd come in to talk to a group and, and somebody says, well, we don't sometimes have time to t- do that assessment on pain management. And they'd said this to me in the morning and I said, well, you know, let's, let's have a think about that. What's the alternatives? And we worked around it. And in the end, I said, what would the Nursing and Midwifery Council say about that if you said I hadn't have time to do a pain assessment? When the expert patient came in the afternoon and the student repeated the question, so sometimes I don't have time to doing a pain assessment the patient said to me you don't need a lot of time but I need to know that you're with me and that you're understanding me and that you're listening to me and that is enough for me you know I realize that sometimes you don't have half an hour to do a full, uh, an extensive pain assessment but just be on my side and that means a lot to me it's very powerful isn't it? Very, very powerful, very powerful. You know, and, and they, they clearly weren't listening to me in the morning, but when the patient came along, it was incredibly powerful. You've mentioned students who've been through this process of learning. Do you have any feedback from people who haven't, who would have liked to have gone through it? Well, that's very interesting. We're, with the study that we've been doing, the European study, looking at medical students, um, we interviewed students in their final year or who had just qualified and we interviewed deans and lecturers and around managing pain itself. So they've been released into the field and suddenly they feel cut adrift. They do absolutely. I glibly said at the start how do you make pain a sexier subject? Really I would think that most people go into medicine because the patient is the focus of everything. Well, that's how you make it sexy. It's working to help the patient, and an awful lot of us are in pain. Mm, Absolutely. Agree with you totally, Paul, because in our interprofessional pain unit, that's exactly what we do, and that's always keeping the patient at the centre make sure that the students work together and focus and collaborate. Um, And those are the skills that they need for the practice. And I think 
we're talking about the, the expert patient in the classroom, you know, it's a really powerful learning tool. It's bringing people together and learning about people's stories and their journeys and impact. Because many of our students, you know, are going to be 18, 19. They may have not seen anybody with um, long-term pain. They'll have had their own pain experiences, but they may be short-term. And it's really important that we help them understand. And, and that's one of the other feedbacks that we've had from our learning unit is actually we never appreciated the range of painful conditions that people have had. So it's important that people understand that there are different treatment plans for different painful conditions. That's Emma Briggs, chair of the British Pain Society Pain Education Special Interest Group. Now, don't forget that you can download all the previous editions of Airing Pain or obtain CD copies direct from Pain Concern. If you'd like to put a question to Pain Concern's panel of experts or just make a comment about these programmes, then please do so via our blog, message board, email, Facebook, Twitter or pen and paper. All the contact details are at our website, which is painconcern, one word, painconcern.org.uk. Last words on undergraduate training to Emma Briggs. We need to more adequately prepare them. We need to get their skills. It's not just about their knowledge. We need to develop all of those communication, empathy, problem solving, those prescribing skills, those patient education skills, helping patients with self-management. There's a huge area missing in the curriculum at the moment. So we need to educate them better. And in my role as chair of the pain education SIG, we're working on that. And we are hopefully going to launch a document which will help universities with competencies and values that we feel are important to bed into the curriculum. And we will also work with the individual disciplines that have a regulatory body like the General Medical Council, like the Nursing and Midwifery Council. And we need to work with them because they set some of the standards around pain. And pain is in those standards, but in very minimal form. So just to give you an example, tomorrow's doctor's document, it refers to being able to prescribe for common indications, such as pain. And then it says that doctors should learn how to use local anaesthetics. And that's it. That's the whole of their recommendations around pain management and and how we should be preparing our medical students. So we need to work with them in order to get some more standards around pain management, make sure it gets into the university curriculum so that our healthcare professionals are better prepared to manage pain when they're qualified.